Genesis 32. But for starters, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning at verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, this is counterintuitive. It goes against our very natural way of thinking about things. There's a bit of a sucker punch in this this text, Lord, that, Father, you, you, by all means, in your love for us, may bring difficulty into our lives. And Father, I, I pray that as we return back to Genesis this morning, and Lord, as we look at what takes place in the life of Jacob, dear Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word this morning. Father, bless your people by the preaching of the word. Bless them with a greater appreciation for you, a deeper love for you, Lord God. And a closer intimacy as they walk with you day in, day out. Bless PCBC with that, Father, I pray. And I ask that this this message would be just another uh, brick in that wall, Lord, another um, action that would be used by your grace to bless the body. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Genesis chapter 32. Um, Guys, can we bring the volume down just a little bit? 
I'm going to be yelling here in about five minutes. So. <clears throat> so Genesis chapter 32 is where we're going to be this morning. We're returning back to our study. Um, if you're visiting, we're working through the book of Genesis, and we're in Genesis chapter 32, and we left off at verse 12. So let me read verses 1 to 12 to kind of catch us up, and then we'll go to chapter or verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys, Uh, flocks, male servants, and female servants, I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and the flocks, and the herds, and the camels, into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, And now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. As we move into this chapter, I, have, I recognize if you've been in Christ for some time or just have some familiarity with the Scriptures, the classic text of Jacob's wrestling match with the Lord. Um, it's interesting as a preacher to come to a text that you know is probably higher in familiarity for the body than other passages, because I was talking to my kids yesterday, I said, this is a really important text that everybody knows, so if I screw this one up, <laughs> this might be it for me. Um, and so I've got to work as hard as I can. And as, you know, the funny part is, every time I do that with a very familiar text in particular, I come away going, I've never been impacted like that from a text. I made the mistake of thinking I knew what it said, because I'm so familiar with it. Silly me. That should not be how it is. We should come to the Word pleading with the Lord, Lord, show me fresh insight. Even from a text that we may go, oh, we know what happens there. Maybe you do. We'll find out. The main theme that I want to hit and why we started in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is that the route to power is weakness. Now, that's counterintuitive. It kind of goes against what we see in our world. If you want to pick your, your favorite basketball player, then you pick the one who is a really good basketball player. You don't pick a bad one. When you want to pick somebody who's going to be your leader or somebody who's going to be a help in some portion of your life, you look for the best you can find. I always find it interesting when 
People say, oh, this doctor is the best there is. Really? How do you know? Because nobody can see him. (laughs) Okay, that makes sense. Can I have a mediocre doctor that I can see? That'd be great. But when you say the way to power is through weakness, it is a bit of a sucker punch. But even more than that, beloved, is how the Lord in his grace wounds his people for their good and his glory. The Lord wounds his people for their eternal good and his eternal glory. I'd argue it all day long from the pages of Scripture. But exhibit A, you just go to the Apostle Paul with a thorn in the flesh. Wouldn't it make sense that the Lord takes away that thorn so he could be more productive as a missionary? So he could go about and, and work harder and get more done? That'd, be, that'd make all the sense in the world. Let's get this guy some more funds. Let's ship a doctor over to him. Matter, he's got Luke, right? Let's have Luke help him. He's a physician. Come on, let's get this guy strong and healthy so he can be more productive for God. That's how we think. And to some extent, beloved, I don't chop on anybody for thinking that way because we're just doing the best we can with what we got. I understand that. What is interesting is that when God goes, actually, no, I got an idea. Let's harm him. Come again? Yeah, let's harm him to remind him he is weak. Let's, Let's remind him of reality, that he is in great, desperate need for grace. I would argue Jacob has not fully learned that yet. In our, as we're tracking through, Jacob's a close personal friend of mine now as I've been studying this, and each week as you come back to it, I'm just freshly reminded, okay, so where's this, where's this brother at? Where's he at now in, in life? Okay. And there's been some dramatic shifts in this guy. Dramatic shifts in the way he's acted and in the way he's responded to circumstances from what we saw when he was a younger man to today. I say today, you know what I'm saying. But God's not done with him. The reality is, beloved, if you're breathing this morning, check your pulse real quick just to make sure, if you're breathing this morning, God's not through with you. He's at work in you. He's accomplishing his good purpose in you. He has a game plan, and you're in it. It's not necessarily the plan of what he's going to do somewhere out there. It's his plan of what he's doing in you, what he's accomplishing in you. And we see that in Jacob over and over again. God at times will graciously wound us for the purpose of our recognizing our own complete dependency on him. See, the foolish mistake we make is we go, I got this. I got this. Let me tell you a funny story. It's a stupid story, but it's funny to me. My dad's boss gives me a motorcycle, right? 1971 cherry red um, Honda, CB100. The day we get it, I had not ridden a motorcycle before, and so I'm on it, and my dad jumps on the back. No pictures were taken, but it looked really funny. <clears throat> and we're riding, and my dad's riding on the back. And he says, you got it? And guess what I said? No! I said no. But he said, yeah, you got it. And he jumps off, and I still have scars. No, I'm just kidding. But I did lay the bike down, cracked the headlight, and to my shame, I stood up and I said, I, you know, Dad, I said no. Um, but he was ready for me to go. That concept of, I'm sure you got this. Well, until you crash. Then the Lord says, okay, so let's, let's go back to that drawing board and check it out real quick. You sure? No, Lord, I'm, no, 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 no. 
The Lord graciously does that with his people, and I think he's doing that over and over with Jacob, reminding him, Jacob, it's me. It's me. I'm the one who's the gracious one. I'm the one who's providing for you. I'm the one who's in your life keeping your head above water. It's me. It's not you. You're scheming back in the old days. You're planning as you decide which group should go where. All of that, though it may be strategic, though from our vantage point, even looks like wisdom. Jacob, you're still missing it. It's me. So, with that in, our, in the back of our minds, look at chapter 32 and look at verse 13. <clears throat> a peace offering prepared. A peace offering prepared. So he stayed there that night. This is Jacob. So he just finished that prayer. A beautiful prayer, a, rec- a great theological prayer, and a prayer that reveals to us where his heart is at before the Lord. Okay? So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, remember he divided it up, he took a present for his brother Esau. Now catch catch this gift. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. So he puts together this beautiful petting zoo for his brother. Verse 16, these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, greets you and asks you, to whom do you belong, where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you, then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. I just I picture this as he looks at them. Now, you guys say it after me. They belong to my servant, right? All right, say it with me. All right, memorize. Great. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. Don't forget this part, guys. Behind us. He's coming. For, now we're kind of given the motive, he thought, Jacob thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So on the heels of Jacob's prayer with the Lord, he now comes with strategy. And this was what's interesting, and this is why I love consulting a multitude of commentaries from some different perspectives, because I like to hear some different eyes on the text throughout the week, okay? I like to talk about it with friends and and family, but also read these commentaries, because one commentator in particular saw this as distrust of Jacob in God to plan this out. Potentially which I'm gonna, my word potentially there tells you that I'm not sure. I don't know the motive of this man's heart. Potentially. I have a tough time reading the prayer of this guy and then thinking that as soon as that prayer is done, he goes, okay, now I don't trust God at all and I'll figure this out on my own. It's pretty low to think that of Jacob. Or perhaps it's simply him seeking to be as wise as he possibly can. I'll put together a beautiful present. I'll have it sent to Esau. So that way Esau gets it clear in his mind, I'm not coming to rob from you. 
I mean, what a, what a gift, right? The amount, the expense is unbelievable. This is so extravagant in what he's sending his brother. And so it would communicate beautifully, I am not in any way coming back to steal from you like before. That old Jacob's dead. New Jacob. Esau, that's not my, that's not my purpose. It's not my goal. It's not why I'm coming back. And some folks look at that and get kind of negative on the guy, saying, this is him not trusting God. Well, I've learned a principle that I believe with all my heart. Sound wisdom and trust in God are not against each other. Sound wisdom and trust in God are actually friends. And so is this him not trusting God? I'm not prepared to say that. Is this him fully trusting God? I'm not prepared to say that. But what I see here is a gift is sent to make it clear to his brother, this is the reason I'm coming back to you. I'm not coming back to you to steal from you or anything of that nature, and perhaps you'll accept me back. The other aspect is, and this is me being maybe a little bit over the top, I wonder if there's some repentance in this man's heart towards his brother and all that's taken place prior to. That's me giving more benefit of the doubt to Jacob, right? So is Dan a cynic or is he a sap? Which one? I don't know, to be perfectly honest with you. And you know what? Here's where I landed in the study this week. Life never works like that. Life is always weird and gray and mixed when it comes to our motives. Perhaps he fully trusted the Lord. Deep in his heart, he goes, I know what God's doing. I trust the Lord but I want to do the best I can with what I can do, and so I'll put together a gift for my brother. Not only that, I wronged him pretty severely, just like Laban wronged me, and so I want to make this right. And so all the different motives of fear of man, fear of God, repentance, guilt, all comes together into I want to send a gift. That's where I hang my hat because... I just rarely see where our motives are perfect one way or perfect the other way, but rather mixed. Regardless, over 550 animals are all put together into this big multitude of different droves, the different droves for the purpose of presentation, right? Think about this. Christmas morning, you go, what'd you get me for Christmas? I got you this. They open it up and they go, that's crazy, but that's not all. Then you come and you open up another gift. Oh, you got that. What? Wait, what, you open up another one. Oh, a set of keys. Yes, and the Harley's outside. Everything comes together. So as these droves are coming forward, it's supposed to, in presentation, servants come forward. This is from our servant Jacob, and this is for you. This is from our servant Jacob, and he just keeps another drove. Really, another drove? Another drove? That's the idea. It's presentation before Esau. a space between each drove for the purpose of presentation. Jacob gives the lines to each servant ahead of each drove. Jacob's desire, we're told from the text, is to appease his brother prior to his own appearance. I do not think it's wrong. And that's, that's kind of another piece I wanted to say. Is I do not think it's wrong what Jacob is doing here. I see no sin here. There's nothing evil about him giving a gift to his brother. He should have guilt. It is a wise move to make it clear ahead of his coming. Not only that, there's 400 guys that are waiting for a big reception for him with Esau. And so I don't think there's anything evil here. I don't think there's sin here. Rather, 
I think this man is seeking to trust the Lord, but he's also trying to do as much as he can that is left up to him, and he's seeking to live at peace with all men as much as it is up to him. That's where I rest in reference to Jacob's demeanor here. Jacob decided to stay in the camp with a very heavy heart. Look down at your Bibles, verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children. What do you say when the ship's going down? Women and children, they go first. You guys probably, you've never been in a sinking ship apparently, so... Women and children go first. So what does he do? He collects his two wives, the two maidservants of his wives, and his 11 kids, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else. There's on purpose here. There's no waste of ink. We're being told just how wealthy this man was. As some has already been sent, then that which he had left, he's already sent that in droves, and then he sends his wives and children over and everything else. And you're going, everything, this guy's got more stuff. What that shows us is that God richly blessed him in possessions in the presence of Laban. So he's coming back a very wealthy man. When he was praying and saying, Lord, I'm not worthy of any kind of precious, steadfast love gift you've given to me, he, he's recognizing not only his family, but also the, the possessions that are, that are his from God's grace. So he sends the women and children off first. Jacob may have been alone. Now, if you drop down, verse um, 23, he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. Question, is Jacob alone? Jacob may have been alone from this world's perspective, but he was very much in the company of another. What do you suppose Jacob was doing there in the camp all by himself? My best guess is that he was in prayer. This man had done all he could to prepare and set up a decent strategy. Now all there is to do is sit and wait. I want to read this quote from Griffith Thomas. I found this very helpful because it very much spoke to my own personality and my own heart. Jacob had sent all his family, household, and possessions over the Ford Javik. But for some reason or other, he remained that night on the opposite bank. He was left alone. Why was this? He was clearly conscious that a great crisis had come in his life. Anything might happen on the next morning when Esau and his four children or his, and Esau and his 400 men arrived. He had planned and prayed, prayed and planned, and now there was nothing more for him to do. I love this statement. Inaction was the most difficult of all things for so, for so a resourceful and energetic nature. For Jacob to wait instead of to work was the greatest of all efforts. <laughs> And yet there he was, in the darkness of the night, alone with all the events of the past day clear before him and all the awful possibilities of the coming day well in view. 
that just so much speaks to those times where you have a midnight prayer meeting where you're all by yourself. And I don't know about you, but at times, some of those prayer meetings, the circumstances, let me rephrase that, the potential circumstances can just eat me alive. What if this happens? What if that happens? I remember, um, or even myself, because I never refer to my dad, but I'm the same way. If there's a long road trip the next day, I'm always sitting in bed wondering what I did not do and what potentially could break in the car that day. And here's Jacob. This is a resourceful guy, no doubt. All the things that Jacob has put together, pieced together, he's a hard worker. We saw that with Laban. The guy works extremely hard. He's a man of action. May not have been a man of the field like his brother Esau, but he's still a man of action. He's still a man of preparation. He's still a man of planning. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of God now. And all this has taken place as he lays there in bed. His family's gone. And he lays there in the darkness all by himself, according to this world, where nobody else is present, just him alone with his thoughts. And I don't know about you. Maybe it's a guy thing, but I think it's a human thing. Inaction is so hard when you can think of how many things could do you harm so quickly. I found that when somebody is really distressed, just look at them and say, calm down, works really well. So try that. And so I feel the guy. I mean, I I feel that pain, uh, not to the extent that he's at by any stretch, but I understand that that inaction, that incapability, that I've done everything I could. I've prayed, I've planned, I've planned, I've prayed. Lord, I don't know what else to do. And so... I don't see any reason to think that he was doing anything else other than worrying and praying. Pleading with God for his blessing and for his help because there are 400 people coming led by a man who has sworn to kill me. My wife and kids are over there. They should be pretty safe. And here I am all by myself. And God has the audacity to say, I know, I'll go wrestle him. Now, see, this is what's so amazing about the text. And this is what is so fantastic about our God, is he comes from angles you never saw him coming. Ever. It's funny how how often we may say, really, Lord? That's how you're going to do this? That's how you did do this? I mean, if you just think about your life, okay, just think about the past and some of the strangest things used by God in the most powerful ways to get you where you are right now in your life as a believer. But there's a truth here that I don't want any of us to forget. He's God. You're not. And so his plan is spot on, totally perfect, and knows exactly what each and every one of us needs at that second, in that moment. And so you know what Jacob needs? That guy needs to blow off some steam in a wrestling match. So, (laughs) Jacob may have been alone from the world's perspective, but he was very much in the company of another. The language here is striking. Look down at your Bibles. Jacob was left alone, verse 24. And a man wrestled with him 
until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God, or striven, I pronounce it four times over this week, I don't know, uh, with, men, with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh." The text, the language, gives the concept of suddenness because it goes literally from, and there he is, he's alone, and then a man attacked him. Boom, got on him. Surprise attack on Jacob. A man wrestled with Jacob all night till daybreak. So who is Jacob wrestling? Well, eventually he refers to it directly as God. I've seen the face of God. There's another passage that speaks to this also. Turn to Hosea chapter 12. The first of the minor prophets, Hosea chapter 12. Hosea 12, verse 3, speaks of Jacob's opponent. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. All right, so back to 32. Jacob makes it plain that he was wrestling with the Lord at this time. Uh, This was not a metaphor, by the way. Some folks have tried to argue that this was a metaphor that he wrestled in prayer for the night. Sometimes we'll talk about, we'll talk like that, right? We'll say, oh, I was wrestling in prayer, which isn't a bad thing, but that's not what it's saying here at all. Because I don't know about you, rarely is my hip out of joint after I pray. If yours is, we'll visit afterwards and, yeah, we'll talk. No, I believe that this is actually a physical, ish, a physical occurrence, a true event that actually physically affected this man. This is not a metaphor, a physical match going on. Jacob makes it plain that he was wrestling with God at this time. Hosea speaks of the opponent as the angel, not an angel. And consistently, I think you could make a very strong case when you see the angel of the Lord or the messenger of the Lord, the one who's there on, the, on um, behalf of God, refers to a pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament scriptures. 
This is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. We have reason to believe from all the scriptural evidence that this was a visible and tangible manifestation of God in the Old Testament. The reason I point visible and tangible is often there's a visible, something that they can see. Um, But here, it's visible as well as tangible manifestation of Almighty God in a wrestling match with Jacob. I believe that with all my heart. After all the study I've done, that's my interpretation. I do not think that this is a metaphor. I do not think that it's referring to something hyper-spiritual. I think the Lord actually manifested himself in a visible, tangible way and actually wrestled with this man, leaving him with his physical hip out of joint for the rest of his days. Now, you ever watched a wrestling match? Maybe you've been in a wrestling match. I've been in a handful. None were sanctioned, but I've been in some. If you've ever watched or been in a hand-to-hand fight, you can imagine what this looks like. It was an exhausting, sweaty affair. Sweat dripping off this old man's beard as he fought with every bit of tenacity and strength he had. And before Jacob lied, I love this thought, before Jacob lied and cheated his way to a blessing from his earthly father, here he's fighting with all that he has for a blessing from his heavenly father. Simultaneously, this is a key point you cannot skip over, simultaneously, the Lord is making it crystal clear that Jacob is a mere man with absolutely no power apart from his God. The Almighty... Almighty God is lovingly and patiently wounding wounding his beloved son in order to empower him to meet his great fear, Esau. Now remember, right? Text, context. Text, context. What's the context? This guy is scared to death of of his brother. He's dreading meeting his brother. He's done everything he can in prayer, in preparation, this massive gift and The reason I think, one of the reasons we are given so much information about the present is to show the amount of fear in the man to the point that I want to overwhelm Esau, that that may appease him and touch his heart. And so this is a man full of thoughts, of emotions, no doubt worry. And now he's got a much bigger challenge than Esau on his hands. God knows exactly what he's accomplishing in this wrestling match. Notice in the midst of the match, a mere touch was given to Jacob's hip to put it out of socket. Without the hips, a wrestler has very little in reference to his ability to move. Very, very little in his, refer- in his ability to move. And so what's Jacob do? He does what little kids do with their dad, wrap around that leg. I'm not letting you go. Look down at your Bible again. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. Now, we don't know exactly what time all this happened. Typically, in all the writing that you find on this particular text, it speaks about him wrestling with him all night. Well, We don't really know when that was, because in the the cover of darkness, he sends his family over, then he's there by himself at night. How long was he by himself before the Lord came and this started? I don't know. The text does not say. I don't know how long 
But I, I will say the language lends itself that this was not a four-minute match. But rather, this was something exhausting. There, there's something given to the perseverance of Jacob in the midst of this wrestling match, that he did not, he did not give up. He continued on. If you've ever seen the movie Rocky or the movie Rudy or something like that, that picture of the underdog who just gets pummeled but refuses to stop. He's all heart. So Jacob says, no, I'm not. I'm not done. No, I'm not. I'm not done. I just imagine when that hip went out, he yells and then goes, I'm not, still not done. And wrapping his arm around the leg of his opponent Even in extreme pain, Jacob refuses to yield without receiving a blessing. Another point that points to this being a manifestation of the Almighty is he changes his name. God changes Jacob's name. Look down at the text. They said to him, this is verse 27, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So Jacob, heel grabber, or the cheat, or a cheater, has now been changed to wrestling with God, or he strives with God, or one commentator said he strives and is victorious with God. But the concept that this man has changed, And this is typically what you see in reference to the names in the Old Testament, is that it it shows some of their behavior, okay? So this guy, what we're being told in this text is that this man has had a dramatic shift in his life. He has gone from the cheat, the heel grabber, the, the, the fake, the manipulator, to a man with all of his heart, has wrestled with man and wrestled with the Lord. His character has become so different to the point God says, now, from now on, nobody will call you Jacob. Your name is going to be changed because you are, not, you are a new man. First time in your Bible, I believe, where you see that word Israel. Jacob requests to know his opponent's name. This is, this is fascinating to me. You asked me my name, so I'm going to ask you your name. And Jacob asked him, verse 29, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? I always love it when somebody poses a question in my question, don't you? The only thing I can get from this, and I'm open to your perspective on the text. I I wrestle with it. I'm not not exactly sure. But my best understanding is that this is a way of God communicating to Jacob, you know who I am. Why do you ask me my name? You know who I am. You know exactly who this is. There's no reason for you to ask me my name. And by the way, he says, what is your name? And then later in the text, he's going to say, I saw the face of God. So apparently he does know his name. He knows who he's dealing with. Which is why I believe the Lord responded that way. So Jacob called, verse 30, the name of the place, Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. Now, this is what's interesting. The second half of that verse could say, for I have seen God face to face, and I beat him. Right? Could say that. He'd be wrong, but he could say that. 
I've, I've striven with, striving with God, and I beat him. I was victorious. I said no, and he just, he, he continued on. Even when my hip was out of socket, I said no, and I kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And so I need everybody to pat me on the back right now because I have seen the face of God, and I came out victorious. That's not how he sees it. And what I find so fascinating, beloved, is that you ask the question, so who won the match? Well, I mean, the text says Jacob prevailed, but then Jacob says, I've seen the face of God, and he let me live. Okay, look down, look down at the text. For I have seen the face of God, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob knows who his, who his opponent is in the text. He knows the sovereignty of this God. He knows the power of this God. And I think it's starting to dawn on him that, you know what? I think the Lord may have let me win. <laughs> on purpose, for his glory, for my good, God has come into my life and he has given me the wrestling match of my life for my good. I've seen the face of God, and my life was delivered. The Lord in his kindness was at work. Jacob recognizes the grace of God in this moment. Jacob does not leave arrogant, but thankful for grace and mercy. Now, this last piece has always just kind of fascinated me. Verse 31 the sun rose up, uh, rose upon him as he passed Penuel, another spelling of the same place, limping because of his hip. And I asked the question, so Lord, why? Why the limp? What, what's, what's the purpose? What is God's purpose in giving him a physical reminder of what just took place? as he walks away limping. Now, some folks say he limped the rest of his life. That's totally possible. Makes a lot of sense. The text doesn't say that necessarily. It just says he limped at that time away. But I have a tough time thinking that that took place without lasting with that guy for the rest of his days. So here's my best shot. Not from the text. I'll own that and open to discussion on it all day long. But I think God in his grace gave him a consistent reminder of, what the, of who is in charge, gave him a, a forever reminder, the fact that Almighty God delivered his life, and a reminder that God is the one who is in complete control, not Jacob. Now, this is what I find fascinating, okay? A physical reminder was given to him from God. Let me ask you this. Can you think of any physical reminders that God has given to us to bring back to our minds God's work and his promises? Do this in remembrance of me. I don't think it's by any stretch or any mistake that God gave us a physical, tangible reminder in the institution of the Lord's Supper to bring to our memory what God has accomplished and what he's done. And so here's where Dan's imagination goes. Jacob wakes up. It's been a year. He wakes up. And he steps out of bed and he goes, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. You are king. You're the, you're the sovereign. 
I'm not, all my cheating, all the things I've done in my past, they did not bring the fruit. They did not accomplish that. And the reason my life is what it is is because of your sheer grace in my life, and I thank you, Lord. That's my best understanding of why God would do that. But what's interesting is the text goes further than just a reminder to Jacob. All of his people actually go back to this very text to a point of what they don't eat. Look down at the text. It says, Therefore, to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket. (laughs) Because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. You imagine, you're sitting there, sitting down to dinner and you're eating and the kids go, oh, I want that piece, it's my favorite piece. You can't have that piece. Why not? Uh, Dad, would you share the story? Sure. Kids, sit down. So, Jacob, years and years ago, by God's grace, he was in a wrestling match with Almighty. And God showed our forefather Jacob so much about himself And in that match, he actually touched his hip socket to the point that he limped the rest of his days. And so by reminder, we want to make sure that we're careful, that we don't forget our past. We don't forget God's grace in the past, in the present. And so we don't touch that. We don't eat that as a means of remembrance of God's grace in the life of Jacob. See, what always amazes me is every time I read a text that I go, that's kind of weird. And then you search it out, you go, wow, God is amazing how well he knows us and what he accomplishes in his people and how he sustains us. Because again, I use it as a parallel in our own day where a child goes, dad, what's with the cup, the the grape juice in the cup and the the bread? Why do do people do that? Why do all the Christians do that? As you explain that, you're drawing to remembrance God's grace in the past, right into the present. So here's the interesting part as this kind of wraps up. Truly, Jacob is now well prepared to meet Esau. (laughs) Why? Because he just met face to face with the Lord. Esau looks about that tall now, and his 400 men look like a whole pile of ants behind him in light of the sovereign king of the universe who has promised, I'll bless you. Our relationship to this world, beloved, and all the potential fears that it can strike into our hearts will be rightly seen the more we rightly know our God and the closer we walk with him. The greater our intimacy with God the less we walk in fear of the world. Now this is kind of the drum roll crescendo to this message. Jacob's greatest enemy was never Esau. Jacob's greatest enemy was trust in Jacob. God can do away with Jacob in an instant, or with Esau in an instant. You see 400 men and all this stuff, and the Lord's going, Jacob, that... Dude, that is not where it's at. That's not the issue. I can do away with that in a second. Done, done. Jacob, the issue is what I'm accomplishing in you, not the circumstances. You're so focused on the circumstances, and you're not recognizing the need in you that I'm working on. 
Your eyes are so fixed on the horses and, and on the people on the horses and your brother's in intimidation and anger. You're so focused on that. Jacob, you, you're missing it. The purpose is your trust in me. Jacob, your enemy's the guy in the mirror. That's the one you're fighting. So Jacob, like all of us, was living by sight far more than he was living by faith. The wrestling match did not leave Jacob feeling more independent, but grateful for God's grace and protection. Jacob is progressively seeing that his main task is to trust the Word of God. So, beloved, uh, may we afresh, just afreshly today, petition our Lord for greater faith in Him and in His promises, in His Holy Word. The more we recognize and acknowledge our dependency and weakness, the more we will see God's power and strength in us. So, I love how the Lord so kindly pieces together the call to worship with the message. Because unbeknownst to you, I called Don this week and told him, hey, Romans 8, 32, that'd be great. No, I didn't. I didn't talk to him. But seeing how God, if he's given us his son, why would he not freely give us every good gift as well with his son? And as these promises pour out of the scripture... My prayer and hope is that it's not like a a, um, ping-pong ball against a rock wall when it touches your heart, but that it sink in deeply. And you go, oh, that is so true. I know that's true. So that, brothers and sisters, that when the, the circumstances around you make it appear as if God is impotent and incapable of coming to your rescue, he charges in by his word, And he rescues you from your own lack of trust in him. I see that's what he has done here with Jacob. Jacob is ready to face any man because he has faced God. The more fear of man, the less we fear the Lord. The more we are in a right relationship and we recognize God for who he is, the less we are afraid of these people out in this world. So last point. I may have already said that. It doesn't matter. Last point. I am convinced, I am absolutely convinced, our fear in evangelism is swallowed up the closer we get to the Lord. The more you are in recognition with God, the more you are right before Him, the more you love being in His presence, the more you see this world breathing its threats as your mission field and not as your enemy. What do you have to be afraid of? Sovereign of the universe is right behind you. So relax. Herald the good news with great triumph because the sovereign of the universe has said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go, therefore. Remember he said the therefore, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Beloved, The fear of God swallows up the fear of me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word.